The presented content does not provide or constitute medical, financial, or legal advice. The content is for information purposes only. Viewing or listening to the content does not constitute a physician-patient, dentist-patient, fiduciary-client, or attorney-client relationship. Welcome to Knowledgeable Aging. I'm your host, Jason Kotar. Joining us today to talk about technology and aging in place is John Robertson. John is the founder and CEO of HomeAccept, Inc. In early 2017, John incorporated HomeAccept, Inc. to solve the problem of private remote monitoring to age in place. In October of 2020, HomeAccept launched its fully certified solution. How are you doing today, John? I'm doing good, Jason. Thanks for having me here. Yes, very much. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Before we get started, John, for those that are joining us for the live webinar, if you have any questions, type your questions in. Time permitting, we will do everything in our power to get your questions answered. So, John, I'm going to turn it over to you, technology and aging in place. Fantastic. Thanks very much, Jason. So, when it comes to technology in aging in place, a lot of people have traditionally thought of, okay, you know what, we've got a personal, the personal emergency response device, the help me, I can't get up button. Uh, that technology, we know it's been around since 1975, and then of course has improved in uh, the technology over the years. Once the smart home emerged, then a whole new realm of technology uh, came out and a lot of new different ideas have been put in place for how to help older adults stay in their home longer. Of course, there's technologies like a video camera. Uh, there's technologies now, like smart watches and devices, other smart uh, devices, including things like listening devices as well. One of the things, though, that when we started to do a lot of research back in 2017 and interviewing all of the key stakeholders that were involved with older adults staying in their home longer, we found a couple of, of different things. One of these things is the consumer themselves. So we called that persona, whether that's the eldest daughter, whether it's uh, a family son, a neighbor, a friend, really what they were concerned about was just very simply, is, is mom or dad okay? Are, are they going about their day the way that uh, people that they should right the, their usual routine is, is there, are they keeping up with what it is that they normally do the other stakeholders that were involved though there too was the the of course the the older adult uh let's look at it from their perspective the older adult wants privacy they want dignity they they've earned that they in many cases didn't want technology that was going to infringe on them and definitely potentially remove privacy. So for the design of technology, we've got to keep both what the family uh, was looking for as well as what the older adult was potentially looking for. Now, there's other uh, individuals involved in this as well, because there's the, the risk takers and policy makers. Uh, that are out there. And often the risk taker, we think of them as the insurance company. Uh, policymakers is often government right down from municipal all the way up to, to federal. And what, how are they going to be involved in helping support the, uh, this type of technology for helping individuals age longer at home? Now, 
interestingly enough, when I first started to get interested in this space, it was actually March of 2016. And what happened was I was doing a presentation at the Center for Disease Control on something completely unrelated to this technology. And I ended up in a conversation afterwards with one of the policy makers at the Center for Disease Control. And they were explaining to me what the silver tsunami was, the demographic change, what aging in place was. I hadn't heard of any of these concepts before, but I immediately could see how from a policy perspective, this was going to have major impact. No one ever expected or figure thought that everyone could be going into assisted living. No one ever thought that people were going to be living to be a hundred years old. And more and more and more, the realization uh, then and more now post-COVID has come that people are going to need to be living at home. And that means that the risk takers and the policymakers need to be able to make sure that they are looking at what are the tools that are going to help people be at home longer. And the providers themselves, so whether that's a home care provider, a skilled nursing provider, uh, whether it's care managers, all of them are being asked to take on more responsibility and risk in this space as well. So what are the tools and what are the technologies that are going to allow all of these stakeholders to be able to collaborate and work together? And certainly that means that there's a lot of barriers to bringing technology into the home. So let's talk about those a little bit. And a lot of this conversation uh, or presentation will focus around some of these barriers and I'll give you a few stories to go with them. So. One of the biggest barriers with technology in the home is always going to be installation. When we were doing design-related work, we looked at all kinds of different things and the technologies that were out there. Uh, how easy could they be connected to someone's Wi-Fi? Was Wi-Fi in the home a reliable way to connect a device? Many homes have dead zones for Wi-Fi. Many homes don't even have internet service. So what are the ways that a device is actually gonna be connected? And who is gonna set this up? So COVID really brought this into perspective for all of us. If you need to send out an installer to actually set a system up in someone's home, that isn't going to work because in COVID they couldn't get access to the home. So in ideal situations, even post COVID, you want something or you want a technology that is so easy to use that someone that, whether it's the older adult themselves or the caregiver or someone that has regular access to that individual, they can go through a very, very simple setup experience. And usually my litmus test for that is can you do this in a couple of minutes or not? Because if you can't, then most likely that's gonna be a big, big barrier to adopting technology in the home. Now, the other component of this that we really need to think through a lot more is what are the actual expectations that we're gonna be putting on the older adult themselves? 
And lots of technology has failed because we haven't asked that question of, can we reasonably expect the older adult to open an app every day and use it for certain things, um, to maybe sync their blood pressure uh, to it? Can we reasonably expect them to open up and record information uh, about when they took their, their medications? What about as well, uh, even something like, I, I love my Apple smartwatch. I'm wearing it right now. Uh, but you know what? Last night, uh, it was at 10% battery and just about dying. So I know that if I gave my 86-year-old father an Apple smartwatch, all the things that it can monitor, that's great. But the minute it needs to be recharged, it becomes a useless piece of technology. So when we start to make requirements on the older adult, now we're moving them out of their routine. Now what we're doing is we're asking them to do something that the minute they don't do it, then we've broken that chain of having reliable information and a full experience for the older adult. Now, the other concept of this too is, you know, if you're gonna ask everyone to be aging at home and aging in place, what does that support look like? And we kind of came up with, and, and it wasn't our invention, we've heard this term, this circle of care term used a lot um, in researching technology and talking to professionals in the uh, elder care, older adult care space. And what the circle of care is, is not just the professionals, but it's the, the family. It's the neighbors. It's the concept of, you know, it takes a village to age in place, and it, and it really does. So whatever the technology is, is you want to be looking and designing so that it's not isolated to into silos, where you've got one individual that has got control or responsible for the information. Ideally, what it is, is that you have got somebody or a group and a team of individuals that can look at sharing in that responsibility. So that might be a, a professional care manager. It might also be a, a family physician, um, or it could be a neighbor. It could be other family members. And the interesting thing that we found out when we were talking is the amount of guilt that many family members feel that can't be close by. So I'll give you an example. We've had, had numerous families that we interviewed and you would have siblings that were living away and siblings that were still close to mom and dad. And the ones that were away, they felt tremendous guilt that they weren't able to, to help out uh, more. But when you look at building in a circle of care concept into technology, then the people that are away can help with some of the remote monitoring. They can be taking a look at notifications or information that is coming off of the platform. They can help organize individuals so that the right uh, amount of care is and the right amount of supports are being uh, put in place. 
because certainly for the older adult, they would prefer that than to be put into assisted living or to go to assisted living. We've never heard an older adult say, I want to go to assisted living. That That's just not a uh, phrase or a quote that's commonly used. The other key thing in looking at technology in the place is how much for aging places, how much maintenance is going to be required. Uh, we realize just like when you go back to that installation example that I used, as well as when we talk about uh, the recharging of an Apple Watch. If you're putting technology in where batteries need to be changed even once a month, uh, once a week, we also know that, okay, uh, my watch needs to be charged every 48 hours, but you know what, my iPhone or my Android device, that also needs to be recharged. So how much maintenance is gonna be required? And the ideal maintenance is zero maintenance, right? Can the technology that you're using be installed and just blend into the background? Can it just blend in so that the older adult in the home is not even aware that it's there? The other part is then the, the privacy question, which we started with uh, right back at the beginning. And it comes down to how private uh, really is, is private. I mean, there's HIPAA compliance, there's all kinds of, uh, of information like that. We certainly know that a webcam, it's not very private, um, as well as listening devices that are part of the smart home, that information is available uh, to the tech companies that are providing those those services. What one of the things that we wanted to take a look at in the design process is what is the the absolute minimal amount of information that you need to have uh, to be able to provide a level of monitoring to to an individual and. One of the challenges that we looked at across all of the technology was that was available was, what if you just used a mobile phone number? Is that enough? So that the mobile phone number, the caregivers, the circle of care, what's important is that they know the context of who and where is being monitored. Why should the technology company uh, actually care about who and where is being monitored? The as long as the individual that has the account or the mobile phone numbers know that information, then that's all that's actually required. And then yes, that, inf that would make the information then truly anonymous. No IP tracking, um, no idea as to who is actually uh, being monitored or whether they're in New York or whether they're in Los Angeles. Then, could that though that technology still then be used and integrated into other platforms by using what we call an API, an app application programming interface, so that the, that information in that mobile phone number could then be de-anonymized and put inside something like an electronic health record or another device. So those were all are all design concepts, and then it gets into also what are all of the different use cases and scenarios. When you're dealing with aging in place, there's gonna be everything from fall prevention to memory care to medication adherence. There are so many 
different use cases that you can't have um, a thousand different devices in the home for every different case. So how ubiquitous can you actually look at doing something? And I'm, I'm gonna give you a, a real uh, story here for a second. Um, this is actually on a, a podcast that we were working on and I call the story, it's I call it Footprints in the Driveway because it's based on something that we talked to uh, folks about. And, and what it was, was a client, they were really concerned about dad going to the mailbox down on the side of the road. And the reason for that concern was you'd go out the front door and have to come down some very, very steep stairs and then have to go across the driveway to the mailbox that was next to a very, very busy road. And their father had a early on, onset a form of dementia. Mm -hmm. So what they did was on days where it had been a little wet, they were noticing footprints in the driveway. And their concern was that he was coming down and maybe multiple times a day. So they used technology to get proactive about this type of care. What they did was they put a tag in the mailbox. And sure enough, the next day, they learned that that tag had been triggered almost eight times. So dad was definitely coming down to the mailbox. And they had a care manager that suggested, let's put a package in the mailbox and see what happens in this case. So sure enough, the next day, he went down and he got the package and he brought it up, opened it up. I have no idea what was in the package, but the day after, the pattern had been broken. He didn't go back down to the mailbox. They left the tag in the mailbox for a week or so to see if it reappeared and it hadn't. So whatever the fixation was, they were able to use technology to break that pattern. And that's the real essence of what we call proactive care. And there's tons of stories like that. I'll give you another uh, real example. And we've all heard this one many times where mom got, got up out of her chair, she fell and she broke her arm and ended up in the hospital. Very unfortunate situation. And often the family, um, one of the immediate things in, in some of these scenarios is that they look at it and go, okay, well, why did she fall? And they, they ask that question once. And the first conclusion they come to is, oh, she tripped on the area rug and uh, let's remove that and make sure that that's not there uh, next time. However, if they went and asked another question of, okay, well, that area rug has always been there and why the first thousand times that mom got out of her chair did, and that area rug was there, did she not fall? So was the area rug actually the root cause of the fall? And by using technology, if in this scenario, they were using something like a tag or technology that could determine, let's say, how many times the toilet had been flushed. Well, the week earlier, the toilet was increasing in flushes pretty quickly, day over day, which is a leading indicator of a UTI or urinary tract infection. So potentially a week before this fall happened, if you were being proactive and noticed that uptake 
if the technology noticed the uptick in the bathroom usage, then someone could have gone and checked, did a wellness check to see, does she have a temperature? And if she did, then a $10 antibiotic would have solved the delirium that actually caused the fall a week later and saved that hospitalization. So we have always thought about technology in that reactive sense in the case of helping people and aging a place, right? Um, the help me, I can't get up button. It's reactive. It's does mom have it on her to be able to push it when she needs help? Is it a false positive? Is it a false negative in some cases? And that type of, that is always still going to be, though, a reactive technology. Whereas getting proactive is looking at the things that, what are the things that could cause the worst case scenarios? Let's give another story. Um, medication. So one of the common concerns that we hear from families is, if someone taking her meds, and there is tons of technology out there to be able to use that and to look at that, and some very elaborate and effective technologies, some that might be a little bit uh, expensive, um, but there is lots of, of technolo technology options. And one of the things that, as simple as using a tag with someone's existing pillbox or attaching it to a blister pack to know when that medication was accessed. Do you know if she actually took it or fed it to the cat? No, you, you don't. Um, and that's very, very difficult to be able to determine whether someone has actually taken their meds, but knowing if they're adhering to it, like are they, have they accessed it? Have they opened the medicine cabinet at the, at the right time uh, during the day, at the same time during the day? Have they opened it twice? Uh, within an hour of each other. And in some cases, that can help. We had one scenario where an individual took their blood pressure medication twice on a regular basis because they had forgotten that they had taken it earlier. And of course, when they would get up, they would be very faint and uh, that could lead to a fall. So again, medication adherence. Post-operative scenarios. Uh, Someone has gone in for hip replacements, and part of their care when they go home is they want to be using their walker, let's say four times a day for five minutes a day in the first week, and then subsequently they're going to keep building up that. The whole motion is lotion concept. So using technology to tag and track the movement of that walker is just like medication adherence. It's knowing that that is happening so that you know that the right amount of movement is occurring so that hopefully that the right recovery will happen and it will minimize the chance uh, of a fall occurring there as well. So proactive is really the key element here. We need to shift from that reactive technology mode to what is that the technology that is going to help us to be proactive and most of the technology that is in that it's going to fall into two key features for you one is that the technology would have to have the ability 
for you when you're curious about something to look at setting notifications and we all know that and we can set notifications with Alexa we set notifications on our phone we set reminders for ourselves so a lot of the smart home technology has that capabilities and in addition to that though is the using artificial intelligence which is now the biggest uh, extra piece that has come out because now with artificial intelligence we have got the opportunity so that we don't have to always be aware what happens with AI is that it learns what's normal and then it looks for the exceptions so when things are starting to drift outside of normal the AI can help us be proactive by surfacing uh, that insight for individuals if the caregiver has an aging parent and they're they're new to the caregiving aspect, is there one piece of technology that you would suggest as the single most important? Um, I would I would suggest that what they have to do is is probably reach out and discuss their situation their specific situation with with a care manager or um, or even certainly they can reach out and discuss that with us because every situation is so unique. Um, everyone, so you've got different scenarios for memory care, you've got different scenarios for fall, for fall prevention. Mm-hmm. So there, there is no one solution fits all right. uh, that, that's perfect for, for, for that. It, it really, really depends on, on, the, on the use case. Okay. Another question. In the circle of care system that you researched, how do you determine who is in charge and who has the authority to make decisions? No, that's a that's an excellent question. So so typically what happens is that there is the let's call them a subscriber. So there's the person that is responsible for kind of setting up or has has taken on the responsibility for the system. That is sometimes the caregiver. In other cases, families will actually have that being a care manager. So an individual that the family is working with to help manage the overall care priorities uh, of the person. So it's usually gonna be caregiver or a care manager, and they have the ability to add other users and remove other users from the system. Okay. Another question has come in. They're, t- they're talking about uh, patients with cognitive issues. Are mm-hmm. there any specific technologies best suited for those individuals? So with cognitive-related uh, issues, I mean, there's a couple of things that uh, you're, you want to be thinking about, and that is you're often looking at a specific thing that that, that you're you're trying like for example the mailbox uh, use case is a is a great example of that or medication so are there certain cog certain activities that you're looking to see if they're happening at a rig on a in a regular pattern and if they're not are those the forgetting of those activities or the repeating of those activities is that something that needs to be addressed so by using something like the the home accept uh, tag to track those types of, of things will give you that insight as to whether those things are are occurring or not. 
when you look at the technology that's out there today, for example, if you look at a, a simple technology like um, has someone motion detectors, so has someone come into, into a room, right, or exited a room, that's telling you ones and zeros, whereas you need technology that is going to get specific to what that individual is actually doing, and especially the case when it comes to cognitive-related issues. Are they remembering to take their meds, right? Or are they taking them too much? The other thing that we're finding is that some care managers, and in particular memory care uh, individuals, will use our tags and create almost cognitive tasks for their for their clients. Uh, and what I mean by that is maybe a tag has a, a, a color code that's put onto it or a special number or it's, or it's associated with a particular task that they ask the individual to do at a certain time of the day. And just having that confirmation helps them to be able to do some some work, cognitive related work with them remotely. So I hope that answers the question there. It does, it does. Last question, somebody asked, uh, in the time that you've been involved uh, as the, the founder of Home Accept, what's the biggest surprise for you when it comes to our aging population and technology? The biggest surprise is probably the, our lack of knowledge or lack of of just what is involved in, in aging in place period mm -hmm. um, because it's been completely and uh, underestimated uh, and ignored and put off for far too long what is going to be required with individuals that are over the age of 60 over the age of 65 that are now living much longer, but also living much longer in many cases with chronic illness as well. And the reality that many of them can't afford to get into assisted living, uh, they or they want to be in their home, which is the number one thing, uh, but even in their home, they can't necessarily afford or get access to the resources that they need. And then I think the most shocking thing is that we just went through a pandemic. Well, we're still going through a pandemic. Mm -hmm. And that should be taking a microscope and putting it on this. And we're still, I think, in many cases, sluggish to, to respond. Um, and I certainly hope that coming out of this, that policymakers, uh, media, everybody realizes, you know what, this is, and other technology companies realize that this is a very, very serious challenge, and we need to uh, increase the urgency of, of this issue before it becomes a, becomes a major catastrophe again. So I hope that gives everyone a good overview of technology on that side. Uh, thank you uh, very much for having me here. Um, my name's John Robertson from HomeAccept. You can reach out to us at any time at homeaccept.com, so H-O-M-E, another E, E-X-C-E-P-T.com, and uh, feel free to email me at john at homeaccept.com as well. You have a, a podcast as well. Could you want to tell us about that? Yeah, so we just started a, a small podcast called uh, Aging 2050. Uh, uh, the reason for the name was 
Obviously, 2050 was the year that uh, the UN had uh, noted where about 22% of the, the world's population was going to be over the age of 65. And really, that the purpose of that podcast is just to take a, a small dive into some aspects of the technology around uh, non-intrusive monitoring, around uh, what are some of the use cases and things like that that we've come across. Most of the episodes uh, are usually five minutes. Some of them may end up being uh, 10 minutes long, and that podcast is found on all the major podcast uh, platforms. Very good. As far as Knowledgeable Aging, you can find all of our upcoming and archive webinars on our website, knowledgeableaging.com. You can also go to YouTube. We update the YouTube page, uh, Knowledgeable Aging, by the way, on that. Uh, please subscribe. We update that uh, four to five times per week. If podcasts are your thing, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Tunes, et cetera. Till next time, I'm your host, Jason Kotar, and this is Knowledgeable Aging. Thank you.